happened to Gnarls Barkley? I don't know. It was it was Danger Mouse and it was um, CeeLo, right? Yeah, CeeLo has done other stuff. they've gone on their separate ways. So yeah. I don't think they've done anything else since Crazy, but that's a, that's a sweet. CeeLo has. That's a sweet tune. He has, but I mean, yeah. as Gnarls Barkley. Hell if I know. That's not the topic here tonight. I'm not hip enough tonight. to know this thing. <laughs> but the point is, that's our topic tonight. It's crazy. It is. We're talking about uh, mental disabilities horror. But before we do that, I got another song in mind. What? Happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my Tonight is not only Fright Club. Look at those two youngins. It's our 21st wedding anniversary tonight. See it that? Is. Look at that guy. Hardly a gray hair on his head. Look at Look the what photo bomb guy, me. though. There's just a guy in the middle of our wedding photo. <laughs> the hell, guy? You get married on the beach, and that's what happens. That's it's photo true. bomb guy. Before photobombing was a thing. So, uh, yeah, so happy anniversary, Hope. Thanks, honey bunny. Welcome to Fright Club Live. I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from madwolf.com, and it's our monthly live series in front of this great studio audience. Hello, Gateway Film Center. Where else would we rather be on our anniversary than right here at the Gateway Film Center? That's right. No High Street on, on the Ohio State campus, Columbus, Ohio. We are doing Fright Club Live. We're talking about... Mental Disabilities Horror, and we're going to see, of course, one of the movies, a good one that a, a lot of people good haven't seen. No. So a little less, kind of an um, the radar little film. less brutal than last month. Yeah, so we showed Antichrist last month, Ooh. the uh, Lars von Trier it genital mutilation film. It was a tough movie. It's a tough movie. It's beautiful, and then, and then uh, it goes, bam! Yeah. It's like, damn! And then it goes there. It but really does. What we like to do on these is when we have one of those really rough movies, light, lighten it up a little bit. So this one, not so much. But... But very good. But before we get to that, we want to thank our senior filmmaking correspondent, Jason, Jason Tostevin, who joined us last week. Who he, is, of course, from right here at Gateway. He is right here at Gateway Film Center and Hands Off Productions, where he makes his fantastic uh, short films. And uh, he joined us to count down the best horror films so far this year, as he usually does. Yep. And uh, I believe and the was, year is half over already. I know. Crazy. It is crazy. crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but there were some good ones. As you mentioned, as I think we all agreed last week, it's been a good year it has for horror been. movies. It has been a very strong year. And I'm super excited because tomorrow night I get to see The Bad Batch. So the second half of the year starts off kick-ass yeah, for me. Woo! Yeah, excited about that. And uh, we probably could spend the rest of this podcast arguing about It Comes at Night, but we're not going to do no, that. No, we're not going to do that. We both liked it. I know there's a lot of people upset about the marketing. I suppose I can understand that, but uh, I liked it a lot. But anyway, thank you for uh, thank you to Jason for helping us count those down. Some good ones, and we we before we get to the countdown tonight about the uh, mental disabilities mental horror, illness horror, mental illness. Yeah, you wanted to say something about a filmmaker who didn't quite make the list. Yeah, so it's funny because when I was looking at all of the, I mean, like you know, one third of all horror movies really are made about somebody who's crazy. In fact, you could probably you could probably just say they all are. Somebody's crazy in all of these, right? But um, so we tried to pick ones that were, that was really the focus, that they were very clear that the issue here is crazy or or in some of the cases, just just mental illness, not insanity necessarily. But there's one filmmaker who is really preoccupied by this, Brian De Palma, who has psychiatrists and mental patients mm-hmm. constantly in his films, dressed to kill. Right. Sisters, which we've actually had in our concept before because we've done twins horror because, yay. And then, um, <laughs> and also quick. Raising Cain. All yeah. of those movies are not very good. They all have qualities. They all have that Brian De Palma sort of stamp on them mm-hmm. that makes them interesting in certain ways. 
Which but, stands to reason since they are made by Brian De Palma. Exactly. So it would be weird if they had, like, somebody else's stamp on right, them. Like, exactly. Oprah Winfrey stamp. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, even though he's clearly preoccupied by mental illness, I don't particularly care for the way he treats it mm-hmm. in his films. Um, even though a lot of his films are sort of ripoffs of other films that we will talk about in this countdown. So anyway, I just figured I'm just going to head off the, the complaints that we're going to get because he's made so many and they're not on the list, though. So there's no Brian De Palma here. That's all I'm saying. All right, so let's get right to it. Our top five. No, we have six? Oh, I gotcha. Gotcha. So starting off at number six and number five, the military attempts to contain a man-made combat virus that causes death and permanent insanity in those infected as it overtakes a small Pennsylvania town from 1973 and then 2010, the crazies. We're in trouble. Is he dead? David, there's somebody outside. Military started shooting town folk. We gotta get out of here, guys! remember not long after I saw the remake, the 2010 remake, I posted something on Facebook about how much I liked it. And people thought I was kidding. I'm like, no, I thought this was a really effective remake. I really enjoyed it. Well, Breck Eisner is not a very good filmmaker. And uh, he was not originally slated to remake this movie. So when he got it, people, not necessarily me, but people were disappointed uh, because a lot of us really love the George A. Romero original, if you're not familiar with that. He basically took his zombie concept, and instead of it being zombie as if it infects the world, it's crazy, which is great. So a military snafu causes the water supply in a small Pennsylvania town to be polluted with something that makes inhabitants crazy. And so it is a, it's basically a zombie film where just one by one, you don't know have they turned and they have turned. And it's really fascinating. And I think actually Breck Eisner updates it really, really yeah. well. And part of it is because he has a killer cast, including uh, uh, Rod Mitchell and Timothy Oliphant, Timothy who's Oliphant always is great. always good. He is always good. But you're right. It's, a, it's a, a strong cast. And also, one of the little tidbits I think is cool about this movie, and you saw, you saw her in the trailer there, the woman on the bicycle yeah. that comes through. She is uh, an actress named Lynn Lowry, and she is a co-star of the original Crazies from 1973, so they get her in there. If you know the original Crazies, you know who she is. She's the one who winds up having a really close relationship with her dad. Yeah. Nikki. But as, as a lot of the Romero uh, movies were back in 73, it was very low budget, a lot more low budget, and there were no stunt people were used in that movie. Many of the, the people in the movie were actually locals of the town, like what the uh, white-suited soldiers were actually high school students nice. from the original. So, oh, my yeah. God, how cool would that be? No, Wouldn't that be great that in your high school? That would be the coolest. Yeah. Be in this horror movie, that'd be sweet. But, uh, yeah, I thought the, the remake was, and I'll be honest, I was surprised. I didn't expect to like the remake as much as I did. I thought it was very effective. Yeah, I did, too, and, and I liked the remake is more interested in uh, the crazy. You know, uh, the original, I think they do some, some, some more sort of fascinating things with sort of the individual ways people would lose their minds and their behaviors, but um, there's uh, they're more focused on that in the remake so that I think it's scarier. George Merrill tends to get preoccupied with sort of uh, government cover, cover up and mm. conspiracies, and, and it was Vietnam. That was the era that he made, so this is the reason for it, but 
I think that it makes his original less of a horror movie than the remake. And you see just a little bit of this car wash scene in the trailer. Oh, my God, I love that scene so much. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And plus, anytime somebody's dragging, I mean, you see that where people drag a knife like Freddy, across yeah. the wall a lot. But but that bloody pitchfork down it, I'm like, nice. Plus, I love I love that opening baseball scene in the I baseball field. Love that. So that's number six and number five from the crazies from 73 and 2010 to start off our list of mental disabilities horror. And moving up to number four, one from just this year that got a lot of people talking. Three girls are kidnapped by a man with a diagnosed 23 distinct personalities in split. I've never seen a case like this before. 23 identities live in Kevin's body. Help me get out of here, Hedwig. Are you trying to trick me? I'll tell on you. Aren't you the clever one? An individual with multiple personalities can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? The beast. There's a man here. He abducted us and he's going to kill me. The world will understand now. The beast is real. He's done awful things to people and he'll do awful things to you. I was so happy to see M. Night Shyamalan make another good movie. Yeah. Right? It was so, it was like so great. Although we both like to visit. Yeah, but, but not it, like but, this. Yeah, this was, you that know, was more this was of a, really, okay, yeah. you got me. This was but really this, a fairly masterful If you haven't seen film. it, we're not going to give it away. Yeah, we're not going but, to. Although I, there are a couple of scenes in the trailer where you can see some of what he's doing to sort of manipulate your expectations, which is brilliant. But more than anything, James McAvoy kicks ass in this movie. fantastic. And if you missed last week's podcast, he looks like our son, so we're very affectionate. <laughs> I have a very soft spot in my heart for James McAvoy. Yeah, because I'll be honest, I think I've said this before, I wasn't the biggest fan of his work before this, but he's totally, well, all right, but he totally, <laughs> totally won me over. He's, he's so, so good in this movie, and there's, there's so many things that make it work. One of the things for me was, you know, M. Night Shyamalan has this, this reputation of, of getting you at the end, and this one plays with that so well. He, yeah, it really does. He knows you That's think That's what you're that. expecting. He knows you're waiting on it, yep. and he has you right where he wants you the whole time and knows what you're thinking, and you're trying to, to, to see if you can guess it beforehand, and you can't, and it's awesome. And when he finally got to it, yeah, I, I think I started applauding at the he end. He did. When I finally George, realized George, what it was. Yeah, George was so happy about the surprise Loved ending. It he so was much. so happy. And there's he been, clapped and clapped. And it's great, too, that you know it, it made a boatload of money. So. You can expect more to come. There's talk about you know, sequels and, and the other movie that it references. But one thing that's interesting to me as to where this might go uh, next, the, the Anya Taylor-Joy character, uh, the girl from The Witch, uh, her, Yay. Yeah, her character name is Casey Cook, which is that alliteration name that so often appears in hero, superhero-type comic. Y'all, you always have the... <laughs> Those type of alliteration names, you know, Bruce Banner, oh, yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, names like that. So Peter I'm Parker. Peter Parker, yeah. I'm wondering if just that is a telltale sign that maybe we'll see her in the future. I don't know. I mean, I certainly would like to. She's she's good. She is great. But, she's um, great. We love her. Yeah, this movie was was very effective, and I think one of the things again that makes it so good is even if you take away that final shock, that twist, it's still good. It is still good, and I was really uh, I was nervous about the movie before we saw it because. There are 100 million split personality films, and they all suck. 
Every last one. <laughs> They're just eye-rollingly bad. They and, can be so bad. And, and one of the reasons that this works as well as it does is because as, a, uh, as opposed to just sort of creating these fake, half-hearted, one-dimensional personalities, McAvoy really, uh, this is a brilliant performance from him. You really sense that they're complete, separate, but but interdependent Sometimes people. in the same scene. And they're, yeah. He changes like that. And they're so sympathetic. I mean, they're so multidimensional. And, and I just think that he does a wonderful job. And as we said last week, we don't necessarily, we don't really consider this horror straight out, but it fit this countdown so well that we felt like it's close enough. Because she makes the rules. Because I make the rules. And that's what happens with the judge and jury over here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, the other thing that, that often is bad about um, split personality movies is they use that as the twist. Like, oh, they exactly. split personality the whole time. How great days of our lives of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Evil twin. Yeah. But this <laughs> one uh, has a, just a, a, a real nice different take on that and really enjoyed that. And that is number four on our countdown. It's split from just this year. And up to number three, here's another one that kind of came in under the radar. I think Surprisingly, it, yeah. actually, if you look at this I, cast. I think it still is. A likable guy pursues his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets. But things turn sinister when she stands him up for a date from 2014, The Voices. Do you ever hear voices? Not really. Jerry. Hey, Fiona. In her eyes, you're a ridiculous peasant. Kill her. And you will discover what it feels like to be truly alive. Don't run! <laughs> Mr. Whiskers, he makes me do bad things. You totally stopped taking the pills, didn't you? Yeah! Mr. Whiskers! Got the warrant! Fiona, cut it out! Pretty complicated inside the human mind, huh? We were just talking about Animal Kingdom and Happy Hour, and that Smurf from Animal Kingdom is in this. Jackie Weaver, she's Jackie so Weaver, great. But, you know, one of the things, many things that make this funny, all those voices, Ryan Reynolds does all those yes. voices. Yeah, he does. And originally the director, Marjan Satrapi, was going to hire different uh, voice actors, but Ryan Reynolds sent her recordings of his own voice tailored specifically for each of the animals and convinced her to do it. And I think one of the things that that makes it work, because then even if you think it sounds a little bit like him, that makes sense because it's a it's in his own head. In his own head. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes it really funny. And the two, you know, so it's like your, your, you know, your bad angel and your good angel on your shoulder. That's really what this dog and cat represent. And the dog uh-huh. is so adorable. He's so funny, and and you know, sort of, but morally, his 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 compass is pointing north. And the cat is Mr. Whiskers. This is British accent, and cats are evil, right? I mean, that's that's just accurate. Yeah. Um, and it's they want really, to kill you secretly. That, they do. They, they do. do. Yeah. Um, Marjan Satrapi, her previous film Persepolis, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. It's brilliant. Is an animated film based on her own graphic novel. And it's it's utterly brilliant. And this is such a weird sophomore effort for yeah. her because it's just a weird. I remember watching weird, that movie. Oh it was God, weird. Yeah. Yeah. This. I mean, this is just it's because it's a really odd film. It's incredibly upbeat, but at the same time, it's 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 quite sad. And I remember uh, when our son was young, and he had several friends who were medicated, and they'd come to the house, and I would remember them as being these crazy ass little boys that would just bounce all over my basement and break shit. And all of a sudden, they just sat silently at the kitchen table and i thought i like that other one better <laughs> and that's what this really is like it is hard it, it kind of is it just the, the, the sadness of sometimes your own insanity is is a lot brighter than the reality that you face when you are on on medicine that makes you see things correctly unfortunately 
when he's not on drugs, then all of those boxes filled of, of corpse parts, they're not bloody and all over his house, and, and it doesn't matter that he hasn't cleaned up after his animals. So when you see what, <laughs> it's a, it, what he does without the drugs is bad. I'm not saying it isn't. Um, the dog is correct. But it's a really interesting approach to a movie that's basically about a guy who, who does have, have a mental illness. And at the same time, it is wickedly funny. Yeah, and it just really, like I said, it really slipped through the cracks that year. And it took a few years to get made. It was featured all the way back in 2009. It was featured in what's called the blacklist, the list of the most yep. liked unmade scripts of the year. And that was 2009. Didn't get made till 2014. Right. So, yeah, I can see why that script would be floating around that people liked it. And it took that long. So that is number three on our list of mental disabilities horror, The Voices from 2014. And moving up to number two, it's the one that we're going to see here in just a couple of minutes suspecting that people around him are turning into evil creatures. A troubled man questions whether to protect his only friend from an impending war or from himself. They look like people. You are a mountain. You are a hundred miles high. All that your enemies place in your way. Betrayal, lies, poison. You devour and become stronger. You are invincible. Those that try to hurt you will turn silent and will bow down. But what can people do to hurt a mountain? Okay, so we've ducked away into an empty theater, as we always do, to talk about the movie we're going to see tonight because we don't want to spoil anything. And I think a lot of people tonight probably haven't seen this movie. No, I think you're right. I mean, the, the people that we talked to at, at the happy hour had not seen it. So yeah. maybe a couple of people who ducked it hand. But I think on the most on the most part, none of the people have seen not it. Not only that, but I think a lot of people haven't even heard of it. No, I think you're right. You know, it was a, a festival film, which is how, how uh, I saw it. I reviewed it for London's Fright Fest, which is how I saw it. So I know it, it. I know it made the festival circuit uh, a couple of years ago, and then uh, it, I don't know that it got a traditional theatrical release. Although they did have it on Netflix, they may still have it on Netflix. Okay, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a well, we we mentioned we wanted to go less brutal, you know, than we yeah. did. So for for a lot of horror fans, it's going to be muted. Yeah, you know, uh, it's certainly not a slasher film or anything like that. It's certainly tense. Very, and, very, yeah. yeah. And and like you said in in talking about it, uh, the little bit that we did in front of the crowd there, it has a sympathetic way of dealing with these this mental disability mm-hmm. that one of the characters is is probably dealing with. And not only that, but I think it it creates a nice contrast between the character who is having some mental problems and his friend, the other character who is constantly trying to bolster himself mm-hmm. from apparently some sort of weak kind of a guy, skinny guy, weak-minded guy that he was when Been these pushed two, around a lot. Yeah, yeah, that these two characters knew each other in their youth. He's, he's constantly hitting the weights, and he's trying to be a, a stronger person and talking about things that he would, he would do. So you've got... And then when, when the movie comes to its climax, he is presented with, a very courageous choice to make. Yeah, I, you know, and I said it earlier, I just I just think that this film is beautiful. It's really touching. Mm-hmm. It, I find it really very touching. And, and, you know, at the same time, it's one of the tensest films, you know, that I've seen. There is a certain, it builds to a climactic sort of, you know, scene where even ha- having seen it repeatedly, I just, I just 
close my eyes like, oh, God. You know what it also reminded me of, the filmmaking a little bit? We talked earlier about, we made a joke about It Comes at Night, which is getting a lot of headlines mm-hmm. right now, by Trey Edward Schultz. And when I saw his first feature, Krisha, uh, last year or two years ago, I can't remember, it, it sort of reminded me of a movie like this. Low budget. Yeah. Probably he got family and friends to do, if not the acting roles, a lot of the jobs behind the scenes, a real community effort, but definitely uh, shows talent for filmmaking. And I'll be interested to see what this Perry Blackshear does in the future, especially if, like Trey Edward Schultz, he's maybe given a bigger budget and maybe has a little more uh, studio clout behind his next effort, because that's what it reminded me of, a very raw first effort. Yeah. I thought it was a, a really uh, a well-put-together film, but, but mostly it works as well as it does because of the performances of the two best friends. So Wyatt, very sympathetic yeah. person who, who, you know, like in several of the films we talked about either, earlier, either has a mental illness or he can sense something supernatural that's about to happen, and that's mm-hmm. the tension, and he's played by McLeod Andrews, but then Christian, who is his friend, who's got some sort of emotional issues, you know, some kind of very self-help oriented. He's having some troubles in life as he's played by Evan Dumachel. And both performances are spectacular, but especially Dumachel. I just think because as soon as he hits the screen early in the movie, you think you've pegged him. You know who he is and you just don't. And it's just, it is such a tender, true friendship that that is by, by both characters that, yeah. that it just makes me love this movie. Yeah, and I actually, as I just kind of talked about, appreciated the the character arc of, of, of Christian better yes. because he's constantly trying to better himself. And in the end, he, he makes choices that maybe a lot of people would say, I would never, right. ever do right. that. And it's and a he choice does it. that takes courage, yeah. uh, which is kind uh, of what he does. But he does it out of love. Yeah. And it's the thing, the very last scene in the movie just makes me want to tear up. I just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it is. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you might be able to catch it on Netflix. Right. Then. All right. Well, we are going to catch it right here at the Gateway. And, of course, you can be part of this, too, if you come join us uh, the second Wednesday of every month where we see something live for Fright Club Live. But let's get back in there and let Wayne and Garth do their thing. Before we get to number one, let's look ahead really quickly. Um, next month, um, the July episode of Fright Club Live is going to be... I saw the devil. <laughs> I saw the devil. Yeah. Uh, which we've been wanting to show for a long time. We're excited to finally show, show uh, Tanwell Park. Who we adore, and, uh, and that, then we look ahead to August already. It's a lot of a lot of people's radar. August edition of Fright Club. We're going to be right back here with the big screen edition of the Reflecting Skin, which you didn't see. I guarantee you didn't see it, and you need to. It's brilliant. It's fucking gorgeous. It yeah. is such a vis- visually stunning, beautiful movie that you need to come back here and see on the big screen. It's never been shown on a big screen in Ohio ever. Uh, we are so excited that that they booked it, and then we're going to get to watch it here. Yeah. And it's also not super scary. So, because next month, I'm not going to, it's We're looking a bit at you, punishing. Matt. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's always the second Wednesday of every month here. And you can always check uh, our website, which is madwolf.com for details, or madwolfcolumbus on Facebook, or madwolf on Twitter. So, uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. And we'll go to number one. And what else? From 1960, it is Psycho. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. 
wouldn't even harm a fly. This is one of those iconic movies that has been dissected and, and can be really for, for eons because there's so much at work here. And one of the things I thought was interesting, it's probably one of the earliest cameos. Hitchcock always had a cameo, and he <laughs> shows up, I think, earlier in this movie than any of his other movies because he figured people were going to be looking for him. Right. And there was so much to come in this movie, he wanted to get it out of the way. So he's standing there <laughs> outside the window before uh, Marion goes into the bank, to mm. her office, and gets it out of the way so people could then, you know, get ready for what's to come because he knew, talking about twists at the end, that one, he knew he had something, you know, a, a humdinger coming for people. A humdinger. A humdinger. And this is one, you know, uh, we mentioned Brian De Palma at the top, and, and this is the movie that Brian De Palma, because he's a big Hitchcock fan, obviously, if you've ever seen any of his movies, duh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I think he revisits this kind of ad nauseum in his own work. Uh, and, and, you know, it's 1960, and it's certainly not, I think, probably the most sensitive exploration of, of mental illness. But at the same time, uh, I think it's fascinating that really the most likable character in the entire film is, is the psychotic killer. Um, and he's the one you root for, whether you realize you do or not. He's the one you're worried about the entire time, uh, which I think is lovely. And has, I mean, it, it really speaks to the performance, but also the direction and, and the way Hitchcock has cast all of the different characters as being not really great people. Well, and it also that's the way it also speaks to many different fears, not just the killing going on, but early on, you've got the fear of being uh, caught for a crime you yep. know, by the police. You've got and then in the end, you've got the fear of disapproving, disappointing your mother, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, and then the fear of the violence that's going on in here. So it works with different fears on a lot of different levels. And of course, Anthony Perkins' performance uh, drives a lot of that. And it's funny, I think we've mentioned this before, legend has it that Hitchcock really didn't like the final version too much until he Bernard Herrmann the, yeah, put the, the score. score with it. And the yeah, music it is one of the greatest, so greatest scores movie. ever. It really, it adds so much to the movie. And one thing I just found out at the very, very end. He told me in the car, this is going to shock me. At the very, very end, the scene after they've captured him and he's in the, the jail cell, there's a shot down the hall. And one of the guards standing there is Ted Knight. Shut up! Remember Ted Knight from the Mary Tyler Moore show? and, and two Caddyshack. And Caddyshack, he's Judge Smales. <laughs> Ted Knight is one, is, is, one of the, is one of the guards in the movie. I, I just found that, and I assume it's true. I'm hoping it's true. Um, <laughs> so many reasons uh, this movie is as legendary as it is. And, and of course, when they wheel around that, uh, yeah. that uh, chair down the basement, it gets that final shock. And probably one of the, one of the earliest, I guess you'd call that a final twist, yeah, one of the yeah, earliest, most effective so. final twists in horror movies. We were talking about M. Night Shyamalan earlier, but boy, this is one. As I said, it's who also, of course, shows there. up in all of his movies. Exactly. Yeah, right, he's another so. one. I mean, not like they're the only two filmmakers who steal from Hitchcock. Sure, they are. But, right. but yeah, uh, he's obviously he he owes a big debt to him as well. Yes, exactly right. So that is number one, Psycho. The list of our mental disabilities horror. Our top kind of a six, top six, top five. So we're going to get to the movie here in just a couple of minutes. It is they look like people. So look for this podcast. It'll be all mixed together and made magic, and it'll be out uh, probably on Monday. And we'll have it on MadWolf.com and all the social media highlights. So, uh, as always, keep the conversation going on Twitter. We're at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And until next time, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. This is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay dry, my friend.